Welcome to Behind the Schemes, a conversation about protecting our planet's precious wildlife from commerce, corruption, and counterfeit cures. This is Risha with Behind the Schemes, and in this episode, we're talking about the state of the Asian pangolin with Dr. Chris Shepard, Regional Director of Traffic Southeast Asia and Trade Vice Chair of the IUCN SSC Pangolin Specialist Group. How dire is the situation for Asian pangolins? Is any one of the Asian pangolin species better off than the others? So the, the situation that pangolins are in now is 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 very serious, and unfortunately, uh, they still don't receive the same attention that some of the more high-profile animals like tigers or elephants receive. the The trade is is enormous. Um, you could you could easily argue that pangolins are the most heavily traded mammal from Southeast Asia um, for the trade in 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 meat and and medicine um, and. In, in, in a number of areas, hunters will tell you that, that pangolins are, are, are gone or all but gone. Some of the species, such as the Sunda pangolin, is probably in, 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 in more, more of a dire situation than, than perhaps the Indian pangolin, probably because pressure on the, from the hunting is, is a lot more intense. The, Sunda, or the, um, sort of the Palawan pangolin is probably in equally a serious situation, given given that it's an island endemic, um, and and therefore just has a smaller range, a smaller population, and and could be wiped out fairly easily as well. Hmm. Many of the seizures that are reported involve tons of pangolins. How is that possible? Who is collecting so many animals, and how do they do it? Well, it's a very good question. We've we've often wondered how how can this this trade be bringing in these volumes? And quite simply, it's in places like Sumatra, for example. There's tens of thousands of people working in in rural situations, in plantations, in in the forest, uh, on in agriculture. And, and basically, everybody knows if you find a pangolin, you can sell it. So it's a, it's a bonus. There are very few, if any, full-time pangolin collectors. It's, it's a side income. So when you have that many people out, uh, if each person finds a pangolin every month or every two weeks or something, uh, it, it adds up. Um, so you've, you've effectively got potentially tens of thousands of pangolin hunters out there every day. Ugh. Recently, there has been talk of increasing legal trade in pangolins as a conservation tool. What do you think of this? I think it's an absolute nightmare. I think it's um, potentially um, will greatly increase the risk to pangolins. In, in countries in Southeast Asia where threatened species are legally traded, I can't give you any examples um, where threatened species are recovering because of commercial trade or where poaching has, has declined. Um, for example, the Siamese crocodile is, is, is heavily farmed in Southeast Asia legally, uh, and yet the wild population is all but gone. Hmm. Species like the yellow-crested cockatoo, or sulfur-crested cockatoo, sorry, in, in Indonesia, it, it breeds in captivity, there's legal breeding operations, um, and, and legal commercial trade. But 
poaching continues. And the reason is enforcement protecting the wild populations is very poor. And public awareness of the situation and public involvement and concern for conserving the species is, is largely absent. So what's to stop a poacher from still taking them from the wild? If, even if the commercial farming drives prices down, or even if legal harvest drives prices down, the risk of getting caught is very low. So poachers will continue to, to sell even if they're getting a, a lower return. As I said, it, it's just a side income anyway. So if they, rather than make $100 off of a pangolin, if, if they now only make $50, it's still a $50 bonus. I do not believe that legalizing trade in pangolins without effective enforcement throughout their range is going to have any positive benefit. Hmm. And they certainly could not be farmed commercially, is that correct? No, the, the, the breeding biology of, of pangolins, just they're not suited for farming. They don't do well in captivity. Anyone that's worked in a, in a zoo that's tried to keep pangolins or in a rescue center will tell you that it's extremely hard to keep them alive. Um, they don't breed readily in captivity. They, they don't produce a lot of offspring anyway. They're not chickens. They, they're just not really suited for farming. Hmm. Right. It seems that one thing that we hear regularly is that smugglers are going unpunished. Penguin smugglers, uh, rhino horn smugglers, ivory smugglers. What are some of the challenges in sensitizing judicial teams to pangolin cases? Well, wildlife crime is, is things, things are improving, first of all. This, this situation is improving, but wildlife crime is still viewed as, as a fairly low priority for enforcement agencies. Um, a lot of enforcement agencies ha have in the past not worked on wildlife. Um, so the idea of working as treating wildlife as a serious crime is, is new to them and it's not always um, being accepted as being a serious crime. Um, so that's one challenge. How do we, how do we raise the profile of wildlife crime in, in the eyes of the enforcement agencies? Secondly, um, there's an awareness issue. It's not just public awareness. It's also awareness amongst enforcement agencies and judiciary. Um, what is a pangolin? Why, why, why is it protected? Why do we need to take action to protect pangolins? Why should it be treated as a, as a criminal offense? Even, even awareness of the wildlife acts and the, the laws protecting wildlife are often poorly understood or poorly known amongst enforcement agencies. So we have a lot of, a lot of work to do on that front. <laughs> Capacity amongst enforcement agencies is also pretty low in many countries where um, officers just aren't trained to carry out proper investigations or prosecutors aren't equipped to, to prosecute wildlife crimes. And, and face it, pangolins are, most people don't know what a pangolin is. So uh, getting enforcement agencies excited about cracking down on the pangolin trade it, it is an uphill battle. But, but we are getting there. There's a lot more attention being paid to the wildlife trade. Um, media coverage is improving and that's just absolutely fantastic. But, but we still have a ways to go. And with respect to uh, pangolin conservation in Asian countries, what are some of the positive trends that you're seeing? Um, hmm. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're, 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 we're winning a few battles, but the war is not being won by any means. Um, we, we are 
seeing more coverage in the media um, of issues like pangolin conservation. People are slowly becoming aware of, first of all, what pangolins are, and secondly, that they're in a lot of trouble and need, uh, need help. Um, enforcement agencies are taking increased action against the trade. There are more people being, being punished, more pangolin seizures happening. Um, seizures alone aren't, aren't a solution. We do need to see more, more pangolin traders being prosecuted, and more of a deterrent out there. But generally, awareness raising is, is happening. We need demand to be reduced. We need, we need the consumers to um, look for legal and, and legal alternatives. We need um, medicinal practitioners to stop prescribing um, pangolin scales. I mean, we, we all listen to our doctor. You go to the doctor, if the doctor tells you to take this pill, you, how many of us ask what's in the pill? We just take it because the doctor <laughs> said we should. Um, so we, we need the traditional medicine associations and the traditional medicine practitioners to, to stop prescribing pangolin parts and to persuade um, users that they should be they shouldn't be involved in this. They shouldn't be contributing to the decline in pangolins, and they should look for illegal herbal alternatives. Absolutely. And as far as the rest of us, the general public, what can we do to protect pangolins? Well, I think everyone has a, has a role to play, if they want, to, to, to help protect pangolins. Uh, first of all, if you're in a situation where, you've, where you use pangolin parts or consume pangolins, Obviously, um, you should stop doing that. Uh, you're contributing to the decline of pangolins, and it's illegal. Um, secondly, uh, people should be supporting organizations and individuals that are working to save pangolins. Students doing research on pangolins, uh, we, we should be behind them. There's very little known about pangolins, uh, the, the current status of pangolins in the wild, the populations, the ecology, all of this needs more work. So. Support students, support organizations that are that are fighting to to stop the trade in pangolins, um, and and then educate yourself. Learn learn about the, the the plight of pangolins, and and then spread the word. Tell others. Well, those are all very good ideas, and thank you so much for spending this time with us today, Chris. We really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to State of the Asian Pangolin with Dr. Chris Shepard. This is Risha with Behind the Schemes.